Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Uh, Mark, I guess the most religious one in here. He's already throwing tomatoes. Um, so last week, I'll bring you through a story. Um, last week when I was at the pastor's conference, um, for whatever reason, my heart started to break. And God does really random stuff in random ways. And that was on a Tuesday, and I felt like he was telling me in a weird way that I was supposed to wear my hat when I preach. And I knew that what was happening was, um, and some of you are like, why would you wear your hat? You know, when you preach, we take our hat off to show reverence, and uh, we play the national anthem, we take our hat off when we preach, we show reverence to God, we don't wear our hat. So that was Tuesday. I didn't say anything about it. And you, know, you guys know typically I bring my hat to church, and then after church I'll put my hat on, and that's just what I do. So Tuesday came around. Wednesday I'm thinking it must have been, it must have been the food that I ate or lack of sleep. Thursday came. I uh, forgot about it. Friday came, and just I felt like God was putting on my heart, you have to wear your hat. You have to wear your hat like, why would God tell me to wear my hat when I'm preaching? What is that? All that that can do is frustrate people, right? Because no way Christians can wear their hat and share the good news of Jesus. So I know that what's going to happen is I'm going to offend somebody if I do this. I'm going to get an email about how this young pastor is not showing respect to God. So then Mark already mentioned it this morning. He wasn't even afraid. He said, I'm just going to throw the tomato now. <laughs> he did, but like the Matrix, I was able to swerve it. <laughs> I missed it, or he missed me. So I'm wrestling with it, and Saturday I'm wrestling with it, and this is last week. Sunday morning, I'm carrying my hat in like I do every Sunday morning, not sharing any of this with Macy. And Macy says... I feel like you're supposed to wear your hat this morning during church. <laughs> and I said, oh, woman. And then I shared with her just what I was processing. And I wore my hat during church last week. And my saving grace was this. Well, I'm not preaching today. Y'all wear hats sometimes. So if y'all wear hats and I'm not preaching, surely I can wear a hat and not preach. And um, so I wasn't preaching last week, so I just wore my hat. Now, if you guys were here last week, did God move last week? Amen. God powerfully moved during our service last week where we didn't even get to the message. Powerfully moved. People confessed sins and asked for healing. And we, and we had testimonies of just all the good news this week. So your pastor wore his hat during service last week, and we never got to the sermon. God was moving powerfully. I forgot about it. Didn't think anything of it throughout the week. And then last night, I had a dream. And in this dream, in my prayer, in the, not my prayer meeting, in the prayer meeting before um, service, there was someone who had an issue that I was wearing a hat last week in this dream. So they asked the question, and in this dream I started to weep, 
and it was a gut-wrenching, like, you're being set free weep. Like, just, it's all coming out, and I'm weeping, and I'm crying. And I said, the conviction in my heart is that God wants me to wear a hat. And it just overtook me in this dream. And I woke up this morning, and I remembered that there was this deep conviction that I was supposed to wear my hat when I preached. And again... I don't get it. I don't understand it. And, and I presented that to those who were in the prayer group this morning. And, um, you know, a lot of things came up just from the standpoint of I'm not trying to be disrespectful to God. I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anyone here. What I am trying to do is honor what I feel like God's putting on my heart. And maybe there's some people in here today who grew up in a highly religious home and they're offended by it. And they're saying, I got criticized for doing this or that, which had nothing to do with salvation. And wearing my hat today has nothing to do with our sal salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Amen? So the scripture was brought up in Acts chapter 10, verse 9. And this kind of set me free because I wrestled with them this morning, and I wrestled with um, my thoughts throughout the week, because what I was frustrated in is I don't want to wear it. I don't want to wear it while I'm preaching. Um, so this scripture kind of helped this morning, Acts chapter 10, verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, and Joey says, right? Surely, Lord, Peter replied, I will never wear my hat when I preach. Surely, God, I'm not going to wear my hat when I preach. Why would I do that? But what Peter said is this is, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him again a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheep was taken back to heaven. So today, I awkwardly, and last week I awkwardly tried to honor God or what I feel like he's putting on my heart. And maybe, maybe the question could be, well, where does this stop? Well, here's the issue. I'm wearing a hat today during service. If this comes to me saying that I feel like if I start saying God said a sin is never a sin, that's when the rebuke comes, right? If I start to change the doctrine of the Bible, that's when the rebuke comes. Amen? There's nothing about Scripture that I'm changing today. A sin is still a sin. Jesus is the only way. He died and he resurrected. The Bible is an errant, inspired word of God. So I wasn't even going to mention anything because some people said they didn't even notice that I wore my hat last week during service. But then I followed Mark's leading 
since I had to dodge a tomato. So how long will this last? I don't know. If you have um, an offense with it or questions about it, maybe we need to talk. I don't know where this is leading, right? Maybe there's someone who's just deeply offended today that needs to wrestle through some questions with me, and I need to wrestle through with them. So if that's you, let's get together, let's talk, let's pray with one another. And maybe next week after we have that discussion, God releases me and I don't have to wear the hat anymore. Amen? So you're like, well, I'm going to have an offense with you because I don't like that you're wearing the hat so that you'll take it off next week. I don't know when I'll take it off. But I do, I wear this today not, I'm trying to be honoring to what I feel like he's put on my heart. Amen? No one likes that? Then I'm up here embarrassed today for the sake of God, and that's okay. And I'm okay to do that. We're going to get into the uh, book of Revelation today, but I first do have a couple announcements. We are having a work day this coming Saturday. We plan on being here between 8 and 8.30. We're going to um, do several things around the church, cleaning, some renovation in the uh, kids' wing youth area. So we're asking that all of you guys will show up, bring some tools, bring your um, hats and tool belts, and we're going to get started. So 8 is kind of when we're planning. So uh, this coming Saturday, we will be doing that. Now, what we're trying to do is we're trying to declutter the church. There's a lot of stuff in the church that we've had for years and we're doing nothing with. So as you saw when you walked into the church today, there's a bunch of stuff out in the commons. It's all free. Take whatever you want. There's some books. There's a shelf. Um, there's a bunch of stuff out there. So please, um, let's have all that stuff gone by the end of the day. If not, um, we'll get rid of it next Saturday. And um, the potluck will be the 18th or 19th, right? 19th after church, so make sure you sign up for that as well. Nevertheless, let's pray. Father, I thank you today that um, we have a church that wants to honor you. Father, I thank you today that you are a good God. Pray today that you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts with fertile soil, minds that can comprehend, Father, feet that want to run with obedience. May this word, may your word bring transformation to us. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as many of you guys are aware, we are going through the book of Revelation. It's been a fun journey so far. And some of the uniquenesses about the book of Revelation is the book of Revelation is not just this big uh, book of revelations. The book of Revelation is about the unveiling or the reveal. Uh, reveal, revealing of Jesus Christ. So Jesus and the reality of who he is is being released and shown to the world. So we talked about the seven churches and the, the idea that God was speaking to each of the seven churches. And then we got into chapter 4. 
Now, chapter 4 in this, um, yeah, in this part is the throne room. And what's happening is God is, or Jesus, is revealing to John the throne room of God. So the throne room of God, there's thunder and there's lightning and there's creatures, there's four uh, creatures, and these creatures, they have different faces, and their eyes are covering their whole being, and they have six wings, and not only are there six wings and all these creatures, there's thousands upon thousands, and then 10,000 times 10,000 that are worshiping God in the throne room. So right now in heaven, thousands upon thousands and 10,000 upon 10,000s are worshiping God. Not only that, there's 24 elders that are laying down their crowns, worshiping, saying how worthy God is. And then we also learned in Daniel chapter 7 that God's throne has wheels. So what was being revealed to us through Revelation so far is what heaven in the throne room is looking like. And then in chapter 5, there was um, a scroll in heaven that had to be opened. And upon first look, there wasn't anyone worthy enough to open up this scroll. So what happened is John wept. And he wept because all that was supposed to be redeemed was lost. An elder told John to quit crying because he sees a lamb that was slain standing. This lamb was alive. And this lamb was worthy to open the scroll. The lamb owned the contents of the scroll. The lamb was able to be the kinsman redeemer. Therefore, there was hope that what was stolen in the garden could be redeemed. So we went through that the past several weeks. And then a couple weeks ago, we talked about the rapture. And the rapture was highly challenging, right? There was pre-trib, there was mid-trib, and there was post-trib. And many of us in here might stand on different interpretations of what we think is going to happen. So if you would like to know my stance, you can go back to a couple weeks ago when I shared about that. And why that was important is as we move forward, chapter 6 through 19 will be about what happened or the tribulation, right? So if you are a pre-trib believer, we will not be here for chapter 6 through 19. If you are a mid-trib believer, you believe that we'll be here for some of that. But if you're a post-trib believer, you believe that from chapter 6 to chapter 19, we will be here for every bit of these contents, unless we just die of natural birth or natural death, right? Natural birth. So depending on your interpretation of the rapture depends on how you will interpret these chapters moving forward. So with that being said, chapter 6 begins to open up the seals. 
So one of the hard things about teaching the book of Revelation is this. Some commentators who are way smarter than me, they, they teach it in a very generic way. Now, teaching it in a very generic way is, is a good thing. It's, it's a broad stroke. But we often miss the subtle moves of society. So for the longest time, uh, when I was younger, and I would ask people about the book of Revelation, I thought that there were going to be dragons and seven-head beasts, right? I just really thought that those things were, were going to come out out of the sea and out of the sky. But one of the mentors began to tell me, hey, look, it's not actually going to happen. These are actually systems by which come about within the world. So what happens is when commentators take a really broad stroke, what happens is, is sometimes we miss the book of Revelation or some of these things taking place right in front of our eyes. So I also know this. Uh, yeah, the good thing is, is that the broad stro strokes teach us scripture, but we often miss the subtle moves of society that moves us towards the end. For example, I don't believe that the mark of the beast system will just come out of nowhere. I don't believe that the mark of the beast system is just going to be like, oh, one day we have nothing, and then now the mark of the beast system is established. Do any of you guys believe that way? It's just going to come about. So what that means is when we take scripture with a broad stroke, we miss how society is pushing us towards the end. I actually believe that there are systems right now that are established and being established to help usher in the mark of the beast. But I also say this, as much as the broad stroke isn't enough, speculating can be dangerous. But it can also unlock our thinking to what's really going on in our world. So sometimes we get too much speculation, and sometimes it's too general, and I don't know where the line is. But for example, back during COVID, within the stimulus package bill, in that bill, and this is speculation, right? Speculation at best. Within the stimu uh, stimulation package bill, what was proposed was that all of that money would be given to us cashless. And then what would happen is we would move then forward in that bill, if that bill was approved, over the next five to ten years, all of our money would be cashless. So then the bill was denied and denied and denied, and then that wasn't approved. Now, why is that important? Because what was happening is if all of our money, if we didn't have cash, if all of our money was tied to a bank then the bank has control over all of our money. And here's where it becomes dangerous, and we begin to see the mark of the beast system being established within our world. And we might not have a church next week because I'm wearing my hat, and then now I'm speculating, right? God might just want me out. I'm okay wherever he wants me. But a couple months ago, PayPal they came out and they released their new 
um, agreements, conditions and agreements, whatever the terms and conditions. And within the terms and conditions, what they said is, we have the ability to fine you per offense $2,500 if you do not, or if we think that there is hate speech or speech in your life that we do not like. And this can be found on social media, so any social media or anything that goes on within your life. Immediately, their shares dropped by over 45%. So what did they do? They came out three days later and they said, hey, sorry, we didn't really mean that. We've lost 45% of our shares. So we didn't mean that. So here's where it's dangerous. If all of our money is tied to a bank or PayPal, it's cashless, then who controls it? They do. And what they can then say is, if you do not do what we want, then we own your money. Make sense? So we start to see the world making some decisions that are pushing us towards that. I don't know if you guys have seen, there's stores going up around America and around the world where entry is tied to your cell phone, your credit card, or your license. There's no workers in the whole store. So what you do, and they're, they're out in San Francisco right now in California and other places, Australia. What you do is you scan your phone, and your phone is your personal IP address, right? You carry it everywhere. Here's your conversations. Or you put your license in, or you scan your credit card. You walk in, you put your groceries in your cart, you bag them, you walk out. No cashier, no nothing. You walk in and you walk out. Your only entry is... Your license, your card, credit card, or your phone. So why is that entry? Well, because then they will charge you. They will charge you um, for the, your bank account that. So you start to see, well, if one day I do not receive the mark of the beast, I will not be able to enter these types of stores. And then there were, um, you know, some speculation. You're like, why are you speculating? I'm speculating just a little bit, not because I'm suggesting that these are the mark of the beast, because I'm not. What I'm saying is the things that are happening in the book of Revelation just don't happen overnight. And we have to be aware of how society is heading in that direction. There's another thing, um, immunity passports. So um, there's immunity passports that are going on around the world right now as well. And essentially these immunity passports are saying that you cannot travel unless you have the immunities that they deem preferential to their certain um, organization. So, you know, there's some immunities that I agree with, there's others that I don't, that's here nor there, but if, um, Within these immunity passports, you can't travel. And then we've also seen some immunity passports over the past couple years where if you don't get a certain immunity, then you cannot work, right? I'm not saying whether I agree or disagree with that. What I am saying is this, is we see a system being established within the world that if you don't listen or do exactly what people say, you can't buy, you can't work, and you can't sell. So I say that to say, 
Some speculation would say that this is leading to the cashless society, the stores without any workers, the immunity passports are leading to, and key phrase leading to, a system that would enable the mark of the beast. Revelation 13, 17, so that they could buy, not sell, unless they had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name. So there's coming a time where the book of Revelation will teach us that society will be chaotic. And while we have a chaotic society, what ends up happening is you can't buy or sell unless you receive the mark. When you receive the mark of the beast, that is you giving your allegiance to Satan. Therefore, you go to hell. Um, so I say this moving forward. I will share some speculation, not even as deep as what I just shared, but I will share some speculation that commentators have while I will also teach the broad stroke. The speculation is not something that I am 100% behind, but I certainly take it to prayer. If you don't like the speculation, move past it. Jesus is king. If you do like the speculation, don't cling to it or be obsessed with it. Jesus is king. Amen? So the four horsemen is where we land today. And why I had to take that long introduction is this, is the four horsemen are not going to be literal four horsemen. The four horsemen, I believe, will be systems established within the world in high places. And the four horsemen that are leading us to the end are seals that Jesus opens. So chapter 6, verse 1. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. As John was watching, as John was watching these events unfold and take place, uh, what was unique is he noticed something and he said this, um, the lamb opened the scroll. The lamb opened the scroll. So what does that mean? All of the events that take place are under the control of Jesus. So that's important for us to see here. That Jesus is in control of the end of time. The apocalypse is under control of Jesus. And the events that follow are because of God's sovereign control. Amen? And if God's sovereign control can oversee the apocalypse, he can oversee your life issue as well. So verse 2, I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. So the white horse the first seal is opened, and John immediately saw a white horse. This rider had a bow. 
So a bow is a weapon, right? So not only is it a weapon, but it represents strength. So he sees this white horse who has a weapon, he has strength, and the weapon can shoot long distance. Yet, the weapon mentions no arrows. So he has a weapon, but there's no arrows that are presented. So not only does this rider have weapons, but this rider also has a crown. And the crown represents authority. So he has authority, he has a weapon, and he's riding in on a horse. So some have suggested by speculation that this horse could be the following. Some suggested it could be Jesus. Some suggested it could be Apollo representing false religion. Others have said it could be the Antichrist, government persecution against believers. How about this one? Some commentators have suggested that this is the Pope or Catholicism. Others have suggested that it's Satan's servants in general. So I don't dare say whether I think it's the Catholic Church or Apollo. I'm not going to speculate that deep. I have my personal thoughts or my tin hat. Today I'm not wearing my tin hat. Today I guess I'm wearing the Adidas hat. But um, with the broad stroke, who is the white horse? The white horse is known as the Antichrist. So the first horseman is the Antichrist. Um, I say broad because I don't want to speculate who it is. This is a spirit that is released to deceive and embody everything counterfeit to Christ. So when tribulation comes, when the end is here, this is the spirit that is released to deceive and embody everything, count, everybody, everything, and embody everything counterfeit to Christ. So during the end, this spirit attempts to overcome and oppress believers through deception and persecution. He does this through the means of leadership. He does this through the means of government. And he will do this through the means of the world, meaning those who are not following Jesus. So there's going to be this spirit that is released, this powerful leader. This rider will have strength, the bow, an authority, crown. But his greatest power will be deception by peace and agreement. In other words, the Antichrist and some of the Antichrist's first victory will be bloodless victories. He's going to have bloodless victories first. Daniel chapter 11, 21 through 23. In his place, a despicable person will arise on whom the honor of kingship has not been conferred. But he will come in a time of tranquility and seize the kingdom by intrigue. So this is speaking about the Antichrist. 
He will come in a time of tranquility, and he will seize the kingdom by intrigue. Not by power, not by oppression, not by force, but he will seize the kingdom by intrigue. The overflowing forces will be flooded away before him and shattered, and also the prince of the covenant. After an allegiance is made with him, he will practice deception, and he will go out and gain power with a small force of people. So this white horse, the Antichrist, the spirit of the Antichrist, when he comes about, he has power, he has a bow, but the way that he's going to win the world is by intrigue. Interesting, isn't it? And what we understand is there's going to be some kind of catastrophic events that are taking place, and we're going to get to this over the next coming months or weeks, who knows. But what's going to end up happening is an event happens, and then, then there's a need for peace. There's a desire for peace within all of us. And this spirit, the spirit of the Antichrist, through a leader will come, and he will present the ways of how we escape all of the problems of the world. So he will achieve power by subduing others. Daniel 8.24. He will rise to power by promising false security. Daniel 8.25. He will be smart and convincing. Daniel 8.23. He will be controlled by Satan. Daniel 8.24. He will oppose Israel. Daniel 8.24 and 5. He will oppose Jesus Christ. 8.25. His rule will end by divine judgment. So what ends up happening is this Antichrist, this white horse, will come in to power. He will come into power and he will deceive many. But before the terrible tribulation breaks loose, which is the Armageddon, which leads to Armageddon, there will be a moment of world peace. And through this peace, deception. Because the world just faced war, famine, and death. People on earth long for world peace. How many of you guys long for world peace? I mean, don't you just want to go to the movie theater and not have to think of an exit route? Don't you want to be able to freely honor God without being criticized? So there's this desire for world peace. So this Antichrist will offer world peace, but it's a trap. As the world seeks security, the Antichrist will promise the answer. Specifically speaking, he will deceive Israel and will make a covenant with them for one week. Though this covenant is broken quickly, midway through tribulation, and there will be no peace from then on out until Christ sets up his kingdom. So the very broad stroke of who the white um, horseman is, is the Antichrist. Then we have the red horseman. Verse 3, 
When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him who was given a large sword. So the first horseman, the white horseman, appears to conquer by means of negotiation and avoids bloodshed. But the red horseman is different. The red horse will eventually show his true colors as this horseman brings war and death. This horseman with the broad stroke is war and death. This is going to happen in the end. Now, what's interesting is since World War II, there has been over 150 wars. And that's a light number. Light figures say that since World War II, this is very light, 60 million people have died in war. 60 million people have died in war since World War II. And many say right now we are on the verge of World War III. Some smart people, meaning not saying that you're not smart if you don't think we're in World War III, smart people meaning people who understand war a whole lot more than maybe we do, these people suggest that we're already in World War III. I have no opinion on that. Yet people killing each other is nothing new to the world. So in Genesis 4, 6 through 10, Cain killed Abel. In James 4, 2, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. Killing people is not new. So some speculation has been that um, this red horse, this red horseman, represents communism. Now, I'm not going to go down the trail of what they, these smarter-than-me people speculated and where they brought it all together, and it wasn't just the color red, right? They suggested that communism could be the avenue by which this red horseman established itself through the world. One author says this, the red horseman uh, symbolizes the spirit of communism, which is known today as the red power. It is always accompanied with dictatorship. Today we have the countries under its influence called Red China, Red Russia, Red Romania, Red Yugoslavia, and Red Poland. Revelation 6.4 describes the spirit as one that removes peace and causes people to kill one another. The spirit claims that a communistic form of government improves the lives of people. This is a clear description of how communism spreads its power through an evil dictator. So the first horseman has gone forth to conquest while the second horseman follows and increases wars upon the earth. We can call this second horseman the man of war. Whether the speculation is true or not, um, 
really doesn't matter, right? Whether it's directly involved with communism or indirectly, what's happening through the second horseman is judgment. When this uh, seal of the red horseman has been opened, peace from the earth will be taken. And here's what we can't forget. Peace is a gift from God. Amen? Peace is a gift from God. So when the second horseman is revealed, peace will be taken. And then the black horseman. And remember, these are the seals that are being taken after or once tribulation starts. And again, why is this important? Because if you believe in the pre-trib, you're not going to be here. If you believe in the mid-trib, you'll be here for a little bit of it. If you believe in the post-trib, we are going to have to endure through the, um, we're going to have to endure through this. So the black horse, horseman, verse 5, when the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a, pale, a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. The scales here are letting us know that things are being measured carefully then we see trading going on. So what we do know, bare minimum, is the black horseman represents commerce and the economic system and its problems with corruption, poverty, debt, inflation, unemployment, and financial loss. The list could go on, right? So most commentators didn't believe that that was speculation they understood that in the end, this black horseman will come with finances and economics on their mind. Now, I want, to mit I want to mention this again. I believe that society leads us towards these horsemen, meaning this doesn't just happen overnight. In 2022, over 26 major processing facilities, food processing facilities, that's a light number, burnt down. So I could confirm 26, there is a conspiracy list that said over 100. So I took a quarter of that. In 2022, and I know it's 2023, over 26 food major food processing companies in the U.S. burnt down. Over 100 Major chicken farms burnt down. East Palestine, what um, people are calling was a, um, you know, essentially they got nuked. Their land for years, hundreds of years, will not be able to grow, will not be able to have animals. So oh, East Palestine had that train wreck, right? So it's not that a system is just going to come in and say, hey, the end's here, now everything's blown up. What's going to happen is maybe 
food factories are going to burn up and eggplants are going to burn up and then thousands of acres will not be able to plant food. Now, I don't know if you guys saw the news yet or not, but that same train company uh, who had that derailment just had a derailment yesterday in Springfield, Ohio. Four cars, four of the carts tipped over. And it's like, why do we keep on having, why do we keep on having these um, carts spill? Now, the good news is the stuff's contained. They didn't do a controlled burn. And we're not going to face what they faced in East Palestine. The UN right now has declared around the world a food shortage. So you're like, Joey, this message is not bringing any hope to me today. All you're making me do is fear. Well, I already saw all you guys raising your hand saying I'm no longer a slave to fear. So you see how messed up we are as humans. We good in the moment. And then someone presents some problems and now we're like, I'm fearing again, God. We forget how good he is. Here's why this is important. Is what I taught, what I believe scripture says, is in the end of times, we do not, and throughout the whole Bible, we do not see God's wrath against his church. We do not see God's wrath against his people. So I, I don't think that God's going to bring his wrath against us because Jesus received all that wrath on the cross on a death that we were supposed to die. Amen? But we do have to see that these things are taking place in our world. And there's something about spiritual, spiritual maturity that we have to be able to face some of these hard things and find peace. We have to be able to find peace. So I'm not afraid to talk about them. And look, I'm going to have to find peace this week because I wore a hat. I, I'm going to. I have to find peace while I'm preaching. I'm highly distracted today because of it. And I don't think that that's God saying, no, I feel, I feel opinions about the hat, and I have to mature in that, right? I don't think I'm doing anything anti-biblical. Be set free. Nevertheless, keep praying for me. I didn't raise my hands on I'm no longer a slave to fear because I knew I was wearing a hat up here today. <laughs> Maybe. So the UN declared a food shortage. So why am I bringing up the food shortage and train wrecks and eggplants and food processing plants? Because what's going to happen is there will be an actual food shortage in the end of time. And we see that with this third seal here. Two pounds, for a, uh, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages. And six pounds of barley for a day's wages. Why are they doing that? Because they're measuring it out because there's a shortage. And do not damage the oil and the wine. The vision here represents economic calamity by the voice of a merchant selling small amounts of grain for denarii or denarius, a day's wage, and withholding oil and wine from sale. Now, the oil and wine was 
many different ideas. Um, what most landed on with the oil and wine was that the oil and wine were held by the world's elites, those who had um, a lot of money. I will overstep a little bit of speculation here. There's this, uh, there's this group of, of leaders in the world, and they're called the World Economic Forum. Any of you guys ever heard of the World Economic Forum? And what the World Economic Forum do is that they're, they're the people who own 98% of the money within the world. And the World Economic Forum, they meet regularly, and they have leaders, and they have what they call disciples. And um, Trudeau in um, Canada, he's a disciple, and uh, Putin is a disciple. And uh, essentially, there's other leaders even within our Congress and uh, House and other leaders where what they do is they gather at this World Economic Forum and then they decide where the world's going to go. And they have leaders from every nation, right? So these elite families, they own everything. And, and if you have questions about the World Economic Forum, just go on to YouTube and type in World Economic Forum and they post all of their stuff on there. You might just have to listen to three hours of a presentation. Much of their presentations are scary about where they want the world to go. Um, they have weird ideas of taking us, taking who we are, and putting us on a computer. And these are the people who are, who are making decisions uh, in our world, and, and I will refrain from more of what, what they share, not because, yeah, it, Sunday morning's not always meant for that, right? In private conversations, we can maybe go as far as we want. But the World Economic Forum controls a lot of the money in the world. And what's happening is these elite, elites, they get a lot of, to do whatever they want to do, right? So one of the examples would be is we, no, I'm just not. Uh, it's just going to get too political. Um, so just, just do some research. But essentially, what's happening here is they believe within the context of Scripture is that when the economic calamity comes, the finer things, the finer things of life, the oil and the wine, will be preserved for those who money doesn't matter to because they have so much. So some speculation is that the black horseman is capitalism. Um, yeah, the elite of the world will save nice things for them. You work hard, you get a lot of money. And then we have the pale horseman. It's the last horseman and we're out of here. Verse 7. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind. And there was given power, or yeah, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the end, and by the wild beasts of the earth. So the term pale um, here actually comes from the term chloros, which is derived from chlorophyll, 
um, which is the pigments in plants. So when we think of pale, it's not pale maybe the way that we think of it. When you look at it in the original language, it was more of like a green and yellow. How many of you guys have ever been to the Denver airport? Any of you guys? That place is creepy, isn't it? The pale horseman is one of the uh, horses that they have there. So the color must be seen as green and pale, uh, or green more than pale. Many commentators suggest that the horse is this color because it's people who have fallen to the sword, likely by civil war, starvation, pestilence, or even savaged animals. So um, it, essentially these people die, and the color represents a decaying body. Kind of crazy to think about, but that's where commentators have suggested. So death in Hades follow behind this pale horse and will fall victim to the sword, likely in civil, yeah, civil war, starvation, pestilence, savaged animals. And during this time, 25% of the population will be taken out. So if we just take today's numbers, it would almost be 2 billion people will be taken out by death, by civil wars. So here's what you see. Um... We had a track event yesterday and went out to breakfast with some of the coaches. And um, one of the coaches was one of the first people in Ohio to have a serious case of coronavirus. And um, this coach was sharing about his experience of being in the hospital and the way the community supported him. And then, you know, as the coaches were talking, I said, you know what's most frustrating? And I said, actually, second most frustrating. The most frustrating thing is all the people that died and the families that were unable to see their family and lost loved ones. Amen? That, that's terrible. I said the second thing that is, the second worst thing is this, is the divide that coronavirus created amongst people. The divide that coronavirus created, or actually maybe not created, but exposed amongst people. So for example, we started to push it a little bit. And I don't mind conversations that are pushed. I said, well, there's coaches at this table that are vaccinated and not vaccinated. Your choice. I'm not asking for you to show your status. I'm not asking you as a church to reveal your status. But do you feel the tension in the room now that I brought up the word va vaccination? How many of you guys at least feel the tension? Vaccine. If I wanted to take a survey, a survey of how many of you guys were not vaccinated versus vaccinated, how many of you guys would feel violated and frustrated about it? All of us would, right? So I'm sitting at this table and I'm presenting, I hate that it's created this divide. And what we've seen is people on the vaccine side and the people on the non-vaccinated side be willing to kill for their stance. Right? And we've seen people be willing to kill for their stance on each side of politics, the right wing or the left wing, or the patriot wing. We've seen people divide over 
racism and frustration. So during this time, 25% of population will be taken out. And the population will be taken out because of wars, civil wars, people killing each other, and ravaged animals. Crazy to think about, isn't it? But I brought up that whole coronavirus divide to say this. Would you be surprised with where the world is today that if there was people killing each other over their stance of politics and coronavirus, would you be surprised? No. So we can see that the world and where society is heading is creating an environment by which these things will take place. So when the Antichrist comes about, when Jesus begins to open up the first seal, I do not believe, based upon my current understanding of Scripture, that it's just going to be, oh, we had a perfect world and now we don't. What's happening is, is I actually believe this, that if the church, that if you and I would repent of our sins today, that if those in the American culture, in the American church would repent of their sins today, and if those who were around the world would repent of their sins today, that would actually push off Jesus' return. Why? Because there's not a darkness issue, there's a light issue. We have a light issue in the world, not a darkness issue. And if people just keep on coming to Christ and coming to Christ, why would God want to stop it? So we have a light issue in the world. So if we would just keep on pressing in and repenting of our sins, this darkness couldn't take place. But see, what the church wants to do is the church wants to point the finger at politics and policies and people rather than repenting of the log in their own eye first. And the longer we continue to keep on pointing the finger and solving the world's problems through conversation and bickering, we will continually get darker and darker as a nation. So this last horseman, the pale horseman, represents death. 25% of the world will be killed. It represents hell and Hades because they quickly follow behind Hell will be breaking loose on earth, and death um, will be far and wide. But guess what? In spite of the hell that will be breaking loose after this fourth horseman, guess who's in control? Jesus. And there's good news that is coming after this horse. And there's good news coming after the fifth seal, then the sixth seal, then the seventh seal. And the good news is this, is Jesus returns and we're gathered together unto him and for the rest of eternity we get to be with loved ones where there's no more sin or death or arguments or knee pain or elbow pain or hats in heaven, who knows. So when preparing this message, I... I, I, I didn't like it as much as I, I did the prior two. Because the prior two, I felt like there was a whole lot to grab onto. In here, it's like the four horsemen. All of that is scary. So it's very informative. 
about what's going to happen in the end, and that's where we end today. So, Father, um, help us um, just understand, help us understand your words in the book of Revelation. Help us see the things, the slow moves of society that are pushing us towards um, the end of the world. I pray today in Jesus' name that the areas that we are deceived based upon our upbringing, based upon culture, based upon the world, based upon our own evil temptations, Father, that you would reveal those areas of um, deceit and lead us to your truth. We love you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.